for 2023. We're going to lay out the structure of what's going to take place for the next about half hour quickly, and then we're going to train the issue for about a minute, and then uh, we're going to get straight to, uh, to your bed sitting at the table. So first, I don't know if the speakers know the season. The structure is going to be each of you have an opening statement for two minutes. We're going to go reverse and reversal. And then each of you is going to present your core argument for 10 minutes. Again, reverse reversal. And then... Uh, Let's switch that. Let's do reversal of Berg for the opening argument. Okay. And then... Whoever He's spoke, ready. <laughs> whoever spoke first will respond to whoever spoke second for five minutes, and then vice versa. Uh, and then we'll have, we'll have uh, time for one impromptu two question, and then closing statements for two minutes. So today the, the topic that was put on the sheet is should my nephew know what I'm doing on Saturday night? And a little bit what's being discussed is the Rebbe Talman relationship, how much uh, vulnerability, how much transparency there should be uh, at least in the direction of Talmud to Rebbe. I think we're not going to get so much today into how much Rebbeim should be telling Talmudim. Um, but how much should Talmudim be telling Rebbeim about what's going on in their life, good and bad? Um, and yeah, let's, let's start it there to hear our opening arguments. So I'll, I'll just begin by saying. Oh, you're starting first? I'm, oh, you're going first. No, yeah. no, I'm going first for oh, this, and then you're going first for okay. this. Okay, fine. I'll just begin by saying that I think there's two, there's two values here that are being discussed. One is how we are meant to have hard conversations. Forgetting the topic of what we're talking about for a second, we could be talking about anything. But the idea that there's a subtlety, there's a nuance to a topic, and especially when you're younger, so you generally take extreme positions on these types of things, very kitsoni positions, and say, no, this is the truth, and this is the truth. The truth of the matter is that truth is seen in 360 degrees. That's the best way to arrive at truth. So, for example, when we're learning a Gemara, and there's a machlokas between Abaya and Rava, there's a machlokas between Rashi and Tosos, between the Rambam and the Rashba, they're not arguing as much as they're giving two worldviews that complete the idea. And so what we're meant to be doing when we learn is we're meant to be trying to understand the underlying unifying principle that they have, and you can only arrive at that really by seeing opposing viewpoints. So the first thing, just to clarify, is the topic is Rebbe Talmud relationships. But there's a meta topic here that I think NCSY Cola wants to communicate to you guys, which is how do we respectfully agree or disagree with each other in a way that informs us from seeing both positions? That's number one. 30 seconds. What was that? 30 seconds. I like that he's got a thing. <laughs> the, uh, listen, Rebbeim never keep to the time. I appreciate your attempt. The, uh, the second thing, I think, is the Rebbe Talmud relationship, and I'll just finish with this. The process of having to formulate these ideas for myself has been one where I myself struggle with this issue and really trying to formulate and define a position has not been simple at all. And I feel like I'm very privileged to be sitting specifically with Herschel talking about this topic because I myself 
am still working on coming to clarity in this issue. So if it appears to you that I'm struggling with some of the definitions, I want to share with you that I am. And it's not easy to talk about this because there are really a lot of, we'll call it not just technical issues, but really fundamental issues in how to define a modern-day Rebbe Talmud relationship. As Rebberg said, I feel that um, when I first heard the topic, I, was, I knew exactly which side I was taking. I think anybody who knows me in the room knows exactly which side I was going to take. And they understood why I would take that side. And I thought to myself, how is Rebberg going to even take the other side? I know Rebberg can keep, a, keep you guys interested in just explaining to you this is a table for 45 minutes. And I just don't think he has, there's any validity to his side. And I couldn't even understand it. And the more I was thinking about it this morning, I started questioning myself. And I le- I've learned a lot about just over... In fact, actually, I was thinking what I should do is take the other side. I was thinking at one point, take the other side because I so believe in one side, maybe I can hear the other side. And I started hearing the second side. I think the real definition of what we're going to be discussing here is what is a Rebbe? And I think a Rebbe has evolved over, I would say, the past 20 years, but for sure, for the past 100 years. What a Rebbe is and was is totally different. I think we're going to have to define what a rabbi is, what a rav is, and what is a Rebbe. And I'm going to speak out two different reasons, two main reasons for my side. I think a lot of this question is about context, understanding your Talmudim, what context does a Rebbe have to have in a Talmud's life, number one. And in terms of a Rebbe Talmud Kesher, what does it mean to have a relationship with someone? Do you have to know everything about someone in order to have a relationship with them? Do you have to have, does your wife have to know everything about you? And do you have to know everything about your wife in order to have a relationship? And I think these are all discussions that need to be had. And I think we're going to all learn a lot tonight, myself included. I see Rav Berg is very prepared. 10 seconds? You take it in 30 seconds or what? Yeah, Fine, okay. And I think we're going to have to understand what is a Kesher, and that's what we're going to have to define that with a Rebbe. Okay, I'll just stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so 10 minutes on the clock. I'll try and give a two minute warning and a 30 second warning. Yeah, 10 minute. You go, argument. you respond to me. No, no, not yet. Oh, I respond? These are the opening arguments. These are the opening Your core argument is, is the next 10 minutes, and then each of you will have a chance to respond. Ah, so I can go, I, he wants me to go first for that also. So you go first, okay. you have 10 minutes. Okay, I don't know if I'll need 10 minutes. Um, the first thing that has to be clear is that when a Talmud opens up to a Rebbe, the reason the Rebbe is listening to his Talmud, and this has to be very, very clear. I was speaking to a Mechanech, I told a few, of, two, few guys in this room this once before, there's a mechanic who I know, he's very close to his Talmudim, and he's very much in the school that he's in, that he teaches in. There's very much an attitude of chilling with the guys. Chilling with the guys. And I said, how do you build boundaries when you're just chilling with the guys so often? How do they know that there's a reason for your chilling with these guys? As opposed to you just being a guy who likes to chill with the guys. He responded that... The most important thing, the most fundamental thing I do in the beginning of the year is let them know this is a shita. 
So whenever a Rebbe is listening to a Talmud speak, and I'm going to say my side in a second, whenever a Rebbe is listening to a Talmud speak, there's a reason. And the Talmud should know when a Rebbe is listening to his Talmud speak about what he did last Saturday night, the Rebbe has to make it clear. The reason I am listening to you right now, tell me about all the garbage, maybe, is not because I like the hack. It's not because I'm living vicariously through my Talmudim. Rather, it's in order to enhance the Rebbe Talmud Kasher. I think it is Pashat. The question was, should a Talmud know, should a Rebbe know what his Talmud did? Should a Talmud tell his Rebbe what he did on Saturday night? Correct? I think it, I think it should a Rebbe know. What? I think it should a Rebbe know. Should a Rebbe know? Should a Rebbe know what his Talmud did? Obviously, there's different types of Rebbe out there. I don't think that a guy who's struggling with Shemir Sinayim, a guy who fails his tests, different tests here and there, I don't think that he's going over to Rav Herschel Schachter to tell him about his struggles with that. It could be some do. I don't think most do. But I do think that it's very important that a Rebbe does know what's going on in the Mutish Shabbos, and I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you the difference between a Rav Shechter, I believe, Rav Shechter, and maybe some other Rebbeim out there. There's two reasons why a Rebbe should know what his Talmud did on Mutish Shabbos. Number one is context. A Rebbe is hopefully going to be with you for the rest of your life. A Rebbe is hopefully going to be there when you need him for different issues. Now, yes, there are many Talmudim, and I'm so happy when a Talmud moves on to the next stage of his life, and... He gives me that call before he gets engaged, or he gets, gives me a call when he gets married. Hopefully, Talmudim can move on and move on to bigger and better things. But there are many Talmudim that will not, and at the point they're in in yeshiva, they need a Rebbe who they can tell everything to. Number one is context. In order to know, in order to help somebody, you have to know the context of what's going on in their lives. You have to know who he is. If you don't know that he was struggling with something particular, and then that impacts his dating, how are you going to help him? You have to know the context in order to give a person when you know what's going on in his family life. Now, a Rebbe should not pry if a Talmud doesn't want to give over the information. A Rebbe does not pry for the information. A Talmud has to feel comfortable with it. But how could you know your Talmud if you don't know what's going on in his life? If you don't know that instead of he was supposed to be learning last night, he was up all night binge-watching, binge-watching Netflix. If you don't know that's what's going on, you just see a person who just looks... He's not interested in what's going on in the learning. Rebbe has to know who his Talmud is, what he's struggling with. That's not what makes the relationship. But it's an integral part of what the relationship is, what is in the relationship. That's the first reason. And I'm going to elaborate on both of them in a minute. And the second reason, and maybe even the more important reason, is Talmudim need to feel safe. They need to feel safe. They need to know... People, we have a hard time. In our generation, we have a hard time opening up to people. We have a hard time letting people know our struggles. When we have a struggle, we think it defines who we are. Very often when a person struggles with looking at inappropriate things, they think, that's who I am. I'm a guy, that's, who, that's what I struggle with. That's, that's the person I am. And they hold it in. They hold it in. They don't tell people what their struggles are. They don't tell people when I'm struggling with going to Minyan. They're embarrassed. I'm supposed to be, the, I'm supposed to be in yeshiva. I'm wasting my year. I'm struggling with chakras. I don't like learning. In the Siva Shalom, he explains, if you want to know how a Talmud is doing, you want to know how a person is doing, ask his Rebbe how much he loves him. 
ask a Rebbe how much you love your Talmud. But if you know, if a Talmud has, if he has the love coming, he's fine. He's fine. He'll be okay. Because we need to feel loved. Talmudim, everybody needs to feel loved. And unfortunately, for many people, that's one of the biggest struggles that people have nowadays. Feeling loved. Feeling validated. And in some times, people feel that if they just knew who I really was, they won't love me. They won't value me. If my Rebbe knows who I am, if my parent knows, I'm embarrassed. It's not that you have to know what a Talmud is doing in order to love him. But very often, when a Talmud sees, when a Talmud knows that his Rebbe, when a Talmud knows that his Rebbe knows who he is, and he still loves me, he really loves me. Very often, you'll say, I know the children. Very often, children will try to, you know, uh, break boundaries or very go close to, close to the line. And one of the reasons that, ta- that children love to test their parents, we'll call it, is because they were really testing your love for me. They're testing, do you even love me if I do this? Do you love me even if I do that? And when a parent shows their, t- their child, I love you even with that. And I want to correct my words here. It's not about loving your Talmudim. It's not about loving your children. Everybody loves their children. Every parent loves their child, no matter what. Even if you're the worst father, you love your child. It's really a question of, do you like your children? Do you like to be around them? Do you like your Talmudim? Do you like to be around them? Do you find them to be pleasant people? Do they feel that they're liked? Do they feel that they're cared about? So, when a Talmud can open up to his Rebbe, and he knows I can tell him anything, it's not about telling your Rebbe. It's not about telling the Rebbe. But if a Talmud feels like he needs to give over something, the Rebbe has to be there for the Talmud. The Rebbe needs to be there for the Talmud. The Rebbe needs to know what's going on in his life. The Rebbe needs to know that this is what he's struggling with. Because if you don't know that, what do you know? It's as if you go to a doctor. Imagine you go to the doctor. Today, I actually went to, I went to a doctor. The reason why I was late was I had to go to a doctor. I had to get a little, I didn't know I was getting a procedure today. I went to a plastic surgeon to take something off my face. And I thought they were going to do it later. One of the things they said to me is, do you have any, any allergies? Imagine I just held the information back. I don't want to tell you that. Or, do you have any um, other conditions? And I just lie about that. No, 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 no other conditions. Imagine I just said that to them. I'd be doing myself a disservice. The doctor wouldn't be able to help me properly. They need to know what's going on. A Rebbe needs to know his Talmud. A Rebbe needs to know everything about his Talmud. If the Talmud need, wants to give it over. A Rebbe... Nowadays we use the word Rebbe. Back in the day we used to use words like Rav. Rabbi. I think it's a little bit different. Things have changed. I'm sure I'll have a chance to speak about this in a, in a few minutes. But a Rebbe is... One thing I came to terms with a long time ago is that I didn't, come to, I didn't become a Rebbe to teach Gemara. I didn't become a Rebbe, honestly, even to teach Torah. I became a Rebbe because I love people. And I love helping people. And my goal is that everybody should feel happy, loved, and living a meaningful life. And when you have people that are there for you, and you know they'll be there for you no matter what. Are there other ways to show that? Yes. 
But in this generation, people feel they're ashamed of their actions. They're ashamed. Never feel ashamed. You need to be inspired. Shame doesn't cause change. Inspiration causes real change. Okay. Yeah, it's a matter of spots. Right. Ah. And then it's on. I, I heard Herschel say two things. I just want to clarify exactly what he said, as far as I understood it, before I state my own opinion here. Herschel spoke about the Rebbe Talmud relationship, that chilling is only there to enhance the Rebbe Talmud relationship, and the Rebbe Talmud relationship is only there to promote growth. So the goal of the Rebbe Talmud relationship is to promote growth. Within that context, I heard him say two things. Number one, the Rebbe needs to know who the Talmud is, because if you don't know who the Talmud is, you don't have the proper context in order to help him. And number two, by giving the Talmud space to feel safe, you can help the Talmud move from shame, which means I am a bad person because of what I've done, to guilt, to regret, to I'm a good person who did something that's beneath my dignity or beneath my values. Those are the points I heard him make. I want to respond um, by saying that I agree with Herschel that the idea here is to define the role of a Rebbe. I do think that the role of a Rebbe is twofold. Number one, a teacher of Torah. And number two is a builder of people. I think it's very important that we identify both of those roles because in the evolution of the last several hundred years and more specifically in the last 20 years, I think we are not necessarily doing a great job of balancing both. I think you have Rebbeim that are great teachers of Torah, and I think you have Rebbeim that are great builders of people. But really, a Rebbe's responsibility is to be both of those things. And so it's important to understand that one might come at the sacrifice of the other, and I'll explain in a moment. Context is important, and there's a dramatic negative impact to context. And I spent a, a lot of time trying to formulate this idea. Roshlomo Freifeld, Zechot Tzadik Levracha, was the founding Rosh Shiva Shayashiv. He said that a parent or a Rebbe needs to keep one eye open and one eye closed. Meaning, there's a time to know what your kid is doing, and there's value in not knowing what your kid is doing. What's the value of not knowing? It sounds like you're just sticking your head in the sand, which is why I think Rafael said it in that way. You're certainly not sticking your head in the sand. You're paying attention to some things and choosing not to pay attention to the others. And the reason is as follows. A lot, a lot of negative things get said about you guys. They, they call you a very soft generation, a generation that doesn't have a lot of resilience, right? But actually, your generation comes under constant scrutiny. In today's social media world, in the context of the Yeshiva League, you guys are basically in a state of being judged all the time, which may not be radically different than the way that we grew up right, years ago, because there was always an element of judgment, especially at this age, but it's certainly intensified. Right? Everything that you do, everything that you are, is more magnified today. And as a result of that judgment, there's a tremendous amount of fear in the air. And what that fear is, is I'm not enough. One of the gifts that a builder of people can give to their Talmidim is I see you in the best positive light. And this is the main word that I want to use for today. 
the Rebbe Talmud relationship has to be aspirational. The job of a Rebbe is to challenge a Talmud. And that sometimes can come at the expense of creating a safe space for a Talmud. Because when a Rebbe gets up and he gives a shmooze and he says, this is mutter, and this is not mutter. Or when a Rebbe says, this is not a hashkafa, that's a Torah hashkafa. And you have that hashkafa, right? It's not necessarily a safe space. It's a challenging space. And there's an aspiration. We're trying to get you to somewhere. We're trying to help you become the next link in the chain of the Jewish people. So that means that there's going to be, by definition, challenges and aspirations. That's not a simple thing to be able to do both at once. Now, if a Rebbe comes along and he says, this is our standard, and he sees you hitting that standard, and maybe it's true the Rebbe is somewhere in the back of his mind as a hypothesis, I wonder what this kid is doing on a Saturday night. But the fact that the Rebbe doesn't know means that when you show up to Shear, the Rebbe looks at you and he says, this is a good boy. I see how he participates in Shear. I see how he's trying. Right? And hopefully, even if the boy is falling asleep, the Rebbe says, okay, he's falling asleep because he's tired. Right? And it, being seen in a positive light is mission critical to growth. A person who sees you negatively, who defines you in a certain way, you can't grow in that context. So you'll say, okay, so he'll know. He'll know what I'm doing on a Saturday night, and he won't see me in a negative light. It's certainly true. But, what you have to understand is that when you say something undignified about yourself, by definition, there's a tremendous amount of vulnerability. And there's a reason that Rebbeim are therapists. I'm sorry, the Rebbeim are not therapists, and therapists are not Rebbeim. When you go to a therapist's office, you see the therapist, and you say whatever you need to say, the stuff that you're deeply ashamed of, and then you leave. You're not, you're not seeing him anymore. You don't see him until the next week. It's very hard for a boy to come into a Rebbe's office or into a Rebbe's shear room privately and say, I did this on a Saturday night, and then see the Rebbe 15 minutes later, an hour later. Not only is it difficult for the Talmud, it's difficult for the Rebbe. Because the Rebbe, in his head, even if he's framing it in the most positive light, we're now holding space for a particular aspect of this Talmud that's undignified. And that doesn't mean, chas v'shalom, that you should be ashamed but there is a sense of uncomfortableness that exists and that is meant to exist because the relationship is aspirational. There's another point that I'd like to make. Aside from a Rebbe being a builder of people, there's a dignity to this relationship. Chazal say, you should, have, you should stand in awe of your Rebbe. You know, the challenge of what we're doing today, and I think a large part of this is because we have a lot more therapeutic language today than we did before, is a Rebbe is meant to hit you where you are, right? He's like getting down in the trenches with you, and there's something very beautiful about that. But also, I've noticed today a trend that I think is very dangerous. A Rebbe is becoming a friend. A guy walks down the hall in his high school, and a guy goes over, and he pats his Rebbe on the back, and he goes, yo, Rabbi, what's going on? How's everything? Chilling, Rabbi? It's like, you don't speak to a Rebbe that way. That's a, that's a teacher of Torah. We're not talking about giving him covet for his own covet's sake. We're talking about giving him covet because he represents the giving of Torah to you. So there's a tremendous lack of dignity that's come into the Rebbe Talmud relationship. And it's like, I've heard guys say, what do you mean? The Rebbe's here to serve me. You go out to eat with your Rebbe. You make demands of your Rebbe. It used to be that we ran to serve our Rebbeim. Now the Rebbeim are running to serve the Talmudim. How did that happen? 
because we went to try to build guys and we went down to their level to try to hear everything, so that relationship became very unclear. It's like, who is this man that I'm telling everything to? So if the Rebbe has tremendous dignity, there's a certain discomfort. You might choose to say it, but there's a certain discomfort. I want to make the following very important split, and I'll finish with this. There's a difference between a Talmud coming to a Rebbe and saying, I'd like to share with you something, and the question that was asked today. The question was asked, should a Rebbe know what's happening on a Saturday night? Should a Rebbe know? Not does the Talmud want to tell. If the Talmud wants to tell the Rebbe, that's one thing. If the Talmud wants to go to the Rebbe and say, I'm having dating issues, and I also want to talk to you about the challenges of Shemir Sinayim and Shemir Sabris that I'm having in the context of dating. That's one thing. Even if a Talmud comes and he has dating issues, it might be appropriate for a Rebbe to say, please feel free to say no. Given the question you're asking me, I'm wondering if we should also be discussing another aspect here. But that doesn't mean that you must know as a Rebbe. It doesn't mean that you should know what's happening on a Saturday night. Sometimes you know, sometimes you don't. As we said, there's value in not knowing because it creates a positive environment where the Talmud can be seen for his best self. And number two, it maintains the dignity of the relationship. Rabbi Sai, I'm not saying that we had it right 50 years ago. And I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I look back at my Rebbeim and I wish that I had a greater Kesha with them when I was in high school. But I never would have gone to slap my Rebbe on the back. I never would have called him Yo Rabbi. You refer to your Rebbe in the third person. You're not allowed, you know that you're not allowed to argue. You're not allowed to have a mariva with your Rebbe, the Rambam Paskins. Halachus, the Rambam Paskins, the halachus of a dignity between a Rebbe and a Talmud are the Oraisa. And today, we're so close with the guys that you see that there's like a certain lack of dignity. And I, I don't want to, uh, I want to like push back too much on this point, but I think, I think we can all be moda that Rashachter is one personality. But then there's something in between, right? There's knowing that a Rebbe, whoever he is, is, a, is a setting a standard. It's my Rebbe, and I look up to him. And even if you're a Rebbe who's quote-unquote chilling with the guys, that separation must be there. If we lose the dignity of a Rebbe, then what's the point of the Rebbe-Talmud relationship? Torah can only be transmitted through dignity. <clears throat> Yo, Rabbi, is not okay. Saying, walking over to Rebbe, pat him on the back, come get him playing basketball, picking him up and slapping him on the rear end. It's not okay. And I've seen it happen. I've seen all that happen. I've heard Yo Rabbi. I've, heard, I've seen a pat on the back. I've seen the lifting him up. Yeah. We're evolving. Us and Rebbeim are figuring it out still. And it may take me until um. Until I can actually get that balance down. Nobody's questioning. We have to have that. The fear of your Rebbe has to be there. You have to. That's, that's what we got to get to. But we're not there yet. We're not holding there yet. When, when you're trying to save lives, you know, you're not thinking. When, you, when, when a lifeguard is, is running in there, you should definitely show him respect. But if, but if you go, you're going through pain, EMT is helping you out, you got to show him respect. You need it there. But right now, we're, we're talking about, we're in the emergency room here. The world is just so difficult to navigate. 
I want to tell you something. I think that the reason why the Rebbe Talmud Kesher has changed and it's involved is not because they were wrong. It's 50 years ago. It's because the world was a different world. It was so much easier to navigate. You get a basic mahalach from your rebellion. You get a basic mahalach from your rebellion in terms of hashkafa, in terms of how you should act, how to feel, and we just went along with it. Your Rebbe tells you, what are you doing in Aveira? Don't get down about it. So now next time, the guy has an issue on Saturday night. I'm calling it Saturday night. But a guy has an issue on Saturday night. He knows how to deal with it. He knows how to react. He said, okay, I was, I was told, this is what happens. I got training from my rabbi. <laughs> the world is crazy nowadays. You see it. I'll tell you, as a rabbi, I once heard from a different mechanic, the generations used to change once every 10 years. Once every 10 years, a generation would change. It would be totally different. He said, nowadays, it's once every two years. Every two years, new guys, the world is just, even as a rabbi, we can't train you now for four years from now, from two years from now. So should you have that, those boundaries? Of course you have to have those boundaries. But where, and should you have those aspirations? Yes, and is Rav Shachter here? And Halavai, that's how we should see our Rebbeim, of course. And we have those people out there. I don't think Rav Shachter would tell you. I don't think Rav Shachter would tell you, you know what, <coughs> guys, come on. When you have an issue with Shemir Sanayim, come speak to me about it. He's going to tell you, there's somebody else there for you. I have somebody for you. Are your Rebbeim therapists? Of course not. It's not our job to be therapists. That's not who we're supposed to be. But when did it become that allowing somebody to open up to you, being close to somebody, yes, and you know what? Being a friend. Being a friend. When did that become a therapist? Or is, is your Talmud just your friend? Of course not. And you have to build those boundaries. But, and I'm learning how to do that. I'll tell you myself as a Rebbe, I'm still learning. And every year I'm learning something new. But I think that the most important thing that a Talmud needs to have is that safe space. And even if it means you won't be that dogma up here, he'll find somebody else to be that. But your Rebbe, not your Rav, not your Rabbi. Rav is somebody you ask family questions to. But if you don't even get used to opening up to people, what's going to happen when chas v'shalom, oh no, we have issues. Are you going to be embarrassed? Are you going to feel like I should tell the Rav in my shul when my kid's going through something? When, when, when my wife is having an issue, I'm having an issue, I'm having an issue with Bitaq and I've lost my job, and the rabbi tells you, don't worry, the Rabbanu Shalom, and you, don't, you just want to tell your rabbi, but really, is there really a Rabbanu Shalom? Who's going to feel comfortable saying that? I'm a guy who walks into my shul, I got tzitzis on, I got a yarmulke on, and I just don't feel comfortable. It's more important than any, in my mind, my belief is that the comfortability, having a rabbi, is so much more important so much more important. You see, tell me to send Rebbeim coffees. Other, but that proves my point. <laughs> <laughs> and, but a Rebbe, you have to, the first thing we have to worry about is not worry about the, not worry about the dogma. First, the guy has to become a mensch. A person has to become, feel, before you can become a ben Torah, you have to be a person. You have to be an Adam. You have to be a person who's healthy, who feels good about himself. And unfortunately, People think the only way to do that is by going to therapy. No, a Rebbe can do that for you too. There's a, one follow-up. Your sponsor is very support on, uh, on uh, a little bit of the Rebbe in season a few minutes later. How does that, not just in terms of the Rebbe being a dope, but how does that impact the getting over to somebody who you've seen in that context? Okay, so I'll answer that very quick. How long do I have for that? 30 seconds? One minute, okay. Um, I don't think... I have not felt myself 
that that has impacted my relationship with the Talmud? Does the Talmud feel something, maybe, a little bit of guilt? Does he feel a little bit awkward, a little bit weird about it? I can't, I can't tell you that. I can't tell you what he's thinking. But I don't believe he is. I don't think that impacts him. When a person knows that you're there for them. And you're right, a Rebbe can't be everything for you at all times. Rebbe, I don't know that the Rebbe has to go ahead and save you from every single issue you're going through. A Rebbe is not a savior. But a Rebbe is, the, is an ear for you. And I'm, I'm, everything I'm saying to you, I'm not basing it on chazal. I'm not say, basing it on psychology. I'm basing it on experience. And my experience has been that if a person really feels safe, that's the safety you feel. When you feel comfortable opening up, it's because you know that in 15 minutes from now, it won't make any difference. And I'll be able to be there for you. He'll be able to be there for me. I think Reversal's right that we're treating, we're treating patients in a hospital. Where I would respectfully disagree is I don't think we're in the emergency room. I think we're in the maternity ward. There's a difference between how we treat someone in the emergency room and the maternity ward. In the emergency room, if you're having a heart attack, we rip off your shirt and we put the paddles on and we do whatever we have to do to stimulate life. But in the maternity ward, we have time. We have time to treat the patient with as much dignity as possible so that they can go through what they're going through. I, I want to say this as clearly as possible because I think it's very, and I don't think Refreshal meant to say this at all, but I think we have to be very careful when we say that you guys are in danger, you're fine, you're growing, you're giving birth to something new, not only on an individual level, but on a generational level. You guys are really steiging. And so, Adraba, I would argue that in a world where things are so undignified and you really have a hard time finding any dignity in the world, it's perhaps more important than ever that a Rebbe maintains his dignity. Where, where does a person look to in the secular world for dignity? To the presidency? It used to be that you could look to the presidency. You can't look to the presidency anymore. Uh, I'm reading a, a secular book now about uh, the Kennedy family. This is going back already to the 60s. I mean, it, the Kennedy family lacked dignity like you can't possibly imagine. And since then, you've seen it go way, way, way down. And I'm not here to talk politics. But where does a, where does a person go to see dignity today? The leaders of the world are, are wealthy people. The politicians of the world are dirty. T today, if anything, the need for a Rebbe to be uh, cut above, and that you look up to your Rebbe, I believe that's the ultimate antidote, number one. Number two, I just want to be very clear. Opening up is not the problem, and I'm not suggesting, nor have I ever suggested, that a, Rebbe, that a Talmud should not be able to open up to a Rebbe. The question that was asked here today was, should a Rebbe know what's happening on a Saturday night? If a Talmud comes to a Rebbe and says, I need to tell you what happened on a Saturday night, there's nobody that's going to argue that the Rebbe shouldn't create space for that. The question is, should the Rebbe know? And the Rebbe knowing, um, I don't believe is mission critical. The Rebbe does not need to know. You are not your worst parts. You know, if we start to frame this as like, the Rebbe needs to know, then I got news for you. That's really saying you are your worst parts. Revolvi and Ali Shore writes that the best way to work on your negative midos is to focus on your positive ones. It's like you can pump fresh water into a swamp. A Rebbe seeing a Talmud in a positive light over and over again, that's how the Talmud becomes his best self. In fact, that's what the Rambam writes about Arna Cohen. That Arna Cohen just saw people in such a positive light and he said it to them. He was vocal about it. That they said, wow, Arna Cohen sees me that way? And then they became that. 
So I don't know that we need to focus on the negative. Again, if a Talmud wants to say something, that's one thing. I'll finish with this. It is awkward. It is awkward when you open up to somebody. There's something called a vulnerability hangover. You guys have heard of a vulnerability hangover? You never have a really deep conversation with a friend, and then an hour later you're like, oh shoot, now he knows that about me? How many times do Talmidim come to their Rebbeim and open up, and then afterwards they go, uh-oh, there's a reason that you go to a therapist. He can't tell anyone. The Rebbe shouldn't tell anyone either. A therapist exists in a vacuum. You see somebody in an office, and then you leave it. You go to your Rebbe, and you're constantly telling him these things. It is awkward, even if the Rebbe reframes it, even if the Rebbe does an amazing job of keeping a safe space. Objectively, it's an awkward thing. And so you have to know, if you're going to do this, it means that you're bringing that into the relationship. It could be necessary. It might not be necessary. It's for you guys to think about. But should a Rebbe know? I don't know. Should a Rebbe know? I'm not convinced. If a Talmud wants to say, that's one thing. So I want to ask two questions and give you each a minute and a half now to, uh, to respond to those questions. Uh, the first one is, and this has been touched on, but I want to talk about it explicitly. Is there such thing as an ideal Rebbe-Talmud relationship? Hazal talked about it in the Rebbe-Talmud relationship. Uh, are those Rabbi Hazal rendered obsolete for generations that don't seem to apply? Um, is there such thing as what the Torah believes is the ideal Rebbe-Talmud relationship? It's actually brought up in the poskim. Um, after the uh, destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, do the halachos of uh, Rebbe Talmud still exist in the same way? Uh, some say no. Uh, it's a taisus that say that the Rebbe, that the the halachos that the Rambam brought down um, don't apply anymore. And obviously, others point out that the Rambam <coughs> wrote his uh, sefer of halachos after the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. But without getting into the halacha of it, I'll certainly say this: just like there's no ideal marriage, right? There's no ideal friendship. There's no ideal Rebbe-Talmud relationship. Every Talmud needs something different, and frankly, every Rebbe needs something different. Not every Rebbe can deal with every Talmud, as much as Rebbeim might want to believe that. It's not true. Some people like certain Rebbeim, they have an affinity to them, and others don't, and that's okay. So, no, I, I don't believe that there's an ideal. However, I do believe that there are certain core principles and the core principles cannot and should not be violated. So for example, I, I, I've been highlighting this idea that a Rebbe needs to be aspirational. I think if a Rebbe is not aspirational, he's not a Rebbe. If a Rebbe is not dignified, and if he doesn't have a dignified Talmud, a relationship with his with Talmidim, that is a relationship that's inappropriate. So you literally see Rebbeim who are going to wake up the guys. And it's like, what are you doing? You're not a Vekker. Like, have, like, again, Maybe there's room for it, but maybe there's room to send a guy, and when a guy comes, to sit him down and say, what's going on? But if a, if a Rebbe becomes a Vekker, in a certain way, he's not a Rebbe. He's a Vekker. He's a Madrich. Yeah, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Oh, sorry, a minute, a minute, a minute, 30 seconds. My initial reaction was exactly what Rupert said, which is, no. You can't. You can't do everything. There's certain parts of a Rebbe that need to sometimes hear the not dignified things. 
and know they're not dignified things. I don't think Rav Shechter is necessarily, I mean he is, I'm sure, but with every guy. And, but I thought about it more, as Rav Berg was speaking, I actually changed my mind, I think there is. And, and it's just repeating my same idea, which is that the ideal Rebbe is a Rebbe that cares for his Talmidim and cares about their Ruchnius and their Gashmius. And he's there for them when he needs them. And yes, that's a Rebbe. Is that also a parent? Is there an ideal parent? Yes. No parent is perfect. Nobody would ever tell you in parenting there's a, such a thing called a perfect parent that doesn't make mistakes. I have, but there is something called... There is an ide- there's no perfect parent, there's an ideal parent, which is unconditional love. And I think a Rebbe who cares for his Talmidim and shows them unconditional love while looking out for their Ruchnius and cares about the Yer Shemayim, that's, a re- that's an ideal Rebbe. Okay. Second question, I have more of we'll head to closing arguments. Our generation, uh, as uh, they alluded to and, and explicitly mentioned, uh, is a generation that's been called soft, uh, not resilient, and it seems like there's a trend of entitlement amongst Talmudians. And how much uh, is the current state of the Red and Talmud relationship uh, in your position, how much does that give you a fear of coddling, uh, the fact that that's going to perpetuate a certain entitlement amongst Talmudians? Um, and what are the ways that even within a context of, uh, of a relationship Coming up to the online through the rebellion from Europe of, of you know, the 1900s. Uh, how much are we going to be behind uh, a lack of coddling and a lack of entitlement? So, again, a minute 30 for uh, picture. I guess for first. Tell me your first time first. Um, I want to be clear. We're talking about, I want to be just clear to everybody. We're speaking about the stage in life where you're. 16, 17, 18, maybe up to 20, maybe a little bit far, further along. I just want to be clear about that. Um, imagine a Rebbe, a Talmud says to a Rebbe, he, he needs the coddling. We'll just say it that way. He needs the coddling. And a Rebbe doesn't give it to him. And you could argue maybe he doesn't need the coddling. Maybe you can argue that we don't need the coddling. But the guys themselves feel like they do need the coddling. And to be there for them, that, that's our job. Is it hurting? Is it helping? I don't think it does either one. I think this is the generation we're living in. If it's not emergency room, we're for sure at war. We're on the front lines of war. And the front lines of war, when you're in battle, yes, you know what, whatever the guy needs. You ask what he needs. If he needs some painkillers, he needs whatever it is. If, he, if sometimes, yes, even, though, even your commanding officer, you may yell at a little bit when you shouldn't have. But you're at war. I just want to just, I know, I know, I'm just, I just want to hear just the first line of the question, that's why. How much was the coddling impacting the relationship? No, how much is there a fear of the current Rebbe Talmud relationship perpetuating coddling? And how much does the current state perpetuate entitlement? Listen, there's, there's always these, there's always Rebbe and other yeshivas after we p- pass on to our yeshiva. And sometimes the Rebbe and other, other, other institutions will say to us, well, you gave us Talmudim like this. You know, you coddled them. You may have done this. And now they need, to be, they need to be a little bit more mature. And our answer is, listen, that's what they needed at the time. What a Talmud needs at the time, you give it to them. Will it perpetuate something? So that's, maybe that's the next stage, if that's what they need. 
I think the goal of any Rebbe, any parent, um, anyone who's raising youngsters, the goal is independence. Flame is only lit when it can stand on its own. Which means that we have to have a balance. On the one hand, we have to provide support, and on the other hand, we have to ask you to reach for something that you're incapable of doing. So, as an example, you know, if a yeshiva provides a tremendous amount of support, that's awesome. But also, it means that the Talmud has not developed the muscles necessary in order to do something on his own. If a guy can't sit through a three-hour morning seder on his own with a chavrusa, then how's he going to be able to sit and shtaik? At some point, you guys have to be challenged to do things. There's no doubt that because we provide so much support, the guys are not as capable. And yes, we can't be afraid for a Talmud to fall. A guy might look at a three-hour seder and he go, I can't do it. Okay, that's fine. So you'll try and you'll fail. And I believe that our Talmudim have enough resilience to pick themselves up. Obviously, we can't let them do it by themselves completely, but we have to hit that balance. That's the key. In terms of entitlement, there is no doubt in my mind that we have created, and we are responsible for this, we've created a situation because of this thing called edutainment, where you guys are not getting the intense education that you're supposed to be getting. A Rebbe has to be a comic, a Rebbe has to be funny, a Rebbe has to do it, otherwise guys will push and fall asleep, even now, right? So you have to, you have to work as hard as you can, and then the guys go, eh, I didn't like it. What happened to teaching the guys? They have to strive for it. And the, the expectations are like, a Rebbe is providing a service, and I am a client. And we've literally heard that. You hear it even in camp here, right? I paid this amount for camp, how come I'm not getting this? Is it? You know, part of growing up is pushing through the hard times. What coach would you want to be your friend? You don't want a coach who's your friend. If you want to win, you want a coach who's going to push you to the max. It doesn't mean he can't be friendly. But there's going to be a time where a coach sits you down and says, you're not doing it. That's a great coach. Guys, speaking of pushing to the max, so we're going to have a minute and a half uh, ending arguments, and then Max gets in the back of the room before uh, chapter 11. Um, oh, so half, you get smicha for that joke. Did yeah, you say pushing uh, to the max because of that? Congratulations. Um, that, is, that is an awful joke. <laughs> so, uh, Man, I don't half. mean that in a negative way. I get nachas from it. <laughs> so, a minute and a half closing arguments, and then, uh, yeah. Oh, closing arguments now. Closing arguments. That was a question. Okay. I want to be clear. Nobody ever said, the question wasn't either, should a Rebbe hear from his Talmudim every last thing he'd done. The question was, should Rebbe know? In some instances, a Rebbe, maybe it's better the Rebbe doesn't. There are instances where if Talmud really feels I can't say it, Rebbe shouldn't, be, shouldn't pull it out of him. There doesn't have to be the vulnerability. Rebbe needs to know. Rebbe has to understand his Talmudim. Independence is, of course, it's necessary, but that was the point I was bringing out, which the people used to have so much more independence. The world was easier to navigate. We're in such a difficult world. We need, we need ways to tell us, not just overall. It used to be back in the day, we used to look at a big map and like, you have an idea, okay, you take I-95 for like that much and then around there you'll hit this. And like you used to take a big fat map out. Remember that when you were a kid? You used to, your parents used to go on road trips and a big map. Nowadays you need ways to tell us 300 feet, 200 feet, 100 feet. That's, that's the world we live in. And of course, Talmudim need resilience. That's the most important thing you can give to a Talmud, which is resilience. 
100% our Talmudim need resilience. But our Talmudim need, more than our Talmudim need resilience, they need to be given the ability to get to resilience. We can't just tell them, be resilient. That never works. You have to teach them how to be resilient. A Rebbe needs to know the context of his Talmidim. He needs to know who they are, what they're struggling with. I want to help you, I need to understand you. I'm your doctor, uh, actually your doctor, but just like a doctor needs to know every detail, the Rebbe needs to know. But most important, the Rebbe, a Talmud has to feel, my Rebbe cares about me, he's there for me, he loves me. I, I think the point Rav Herschel keeps making and the point where I'm pushing back on is Rav Herschel keeps saying this is the context and you need to know who they are in order to help them. My ultimate response is, this is not who you are. What you did on a Saturday night is not who you are. It's something that you did, and it doesn't define you. And being seen in that positive light might be much, much more beneficial to the Talmud than the Rebbe knowing, again, we're not talking about the Talmud opening up, the Rebbe knowing what the Talmud did on a Saturday night. Of course, there are times when the Rebbe would need to know, but most times you don't need to know. And most times you could see that Talmud in a positive light, and that's much better for the Talmud than the Rebbe knowing. So we both agree that we're trying to treat the Talmud. I want to finish by saying what you saw here today was a beautiful thing. This is called the Machlokes L'Shem Shamayim. A Machlokes L'Shem Shamayim has no Kiyom. But a Machlokes L'Shem Shamayim has Kiyom. Rav Herschel and I are not disagreeing fundamentally. I learned a lot from listening to Rav Herschel today, and I'm sure you guys did also. But having a 360-degree worldview of this means that you can walk out of here, and you might walk out confused. And you might walk out of here and go, I don't know. Or I agreed with Herschel, I agreed with Herberg. It's good to listen to both sides. If you're a person who listens to both sides, if you can appreciate that both sides have truth, a lot of healing will happen in your own life, and a lot of healing will happen in the world. We live in a world today where nobody listens to each other. So this was an excellent example of how we can have kiyom in ourselves and kiyom in the world around us. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah.